Hi, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. My name is Isabel Ross, and I'm the coach at Peak Endurance Coaching. Episode 48 is an interview with Kelly Storett. Kelly is a coach, physical therapist, author, and speaker. Along with his wife, Juliet, Kelly is co-founder of The Ready State. The Ready State began as Mobility Ward in 2008 and has gone on to revolutionise the field of performance therapy and self-care. Kelly received his Doctor of Physical Therapy degree in 2007. His clients include professional athletes in the NFL, NBA, NHL and MLB. He also works with Olympic gold medalists, Tour de France cyclists, world and national record holding Olympic lifting and power athletes, CrossFit Games medalists, ballet dancers, military personnel and competitive age division athletes. Kelly is the author of the New York Times and Wall Street Journal's bestsellers, Becoming a Supple Leopard and Ready to Run. I have the book Ready to Run, and that is how I find out about Kelly Starrett. It's an awesome book. I re- highly recommend that you get this as it gives you a ton of um, mobility exercises to help with your running. Kelly and his work have been featured on 60 Minutes, The View, The Joe Rogan Experience, CBS Sports, Outside Magazine, Men's Health, Men's Journals, and dozens of other podcasts, magazines, and books, including Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Body and Tools of Titans. In this podcast, Kelly and I discuss the importance of mobility, hydration, and sleep. I hope you enjoy my chat with Kelly. Are injuries ruining your enjoyment of running and hindering your performance? Utilising the latest in technology and with a wealth of experience, the team at Health and High Performance can assist you with all your running, injury and performance needs. So to get back to enjoying your running and achieving the results you are capable of, head to healthhp.com.au backslash run. Hi, Kelly, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, now, I've uh, said a little bit about you, but can you tell the listeners a bit about yourself and how you became such an expert in mobility? Well, well it turns out uh, I have thought about how humans and have been obsessed with moving better technique for as long as I can remember. I, I fell into a community of technical outdoor sports as a child. I actually grew up in Europe. Okay. And the way to pick up technical skiing and alpine racing and some of the other things we're doing were really, really complicated and nuanced conversations that really spoke to me about trying to understand, you know, it wasn't just driven by a clock. It wasn't just driven by a, you know, did I, did I go faster? It was a lot of feel, which really kind of spoke to me. And then, you know, fast forward, and what ended up happening is I used to be a paddler on the U.S. canoe and kayak team, and I had a really bad injury, which was a classic overuse injury that so many of us can relate to. We're doing more volume, and you know if more volume is better, more volume is better. <laughs> oh, definitely, yep. <laughs> right before team trials, and everyone told me once it happened that it was a common experience. And then I went into the, the realm of you know, cortisone shots and taking mm. prednisone and all the ibuprofen and traction, acupuncture and massage and physical therapy and MRIs. Mm. And it turns out no one can really help, you know? And, you know, um, when, so when I started, when I realized ultimately that I was interested in not having that happen again, I had a moment of satori and I decided I need to go to physio school, which really what I saw the unification of being a high level athlete and enjoying training and then I went to physio school and I'm an Australian trained physio. We use a model called the Maitland idea or methodology. And what I saw was that there was a real gap between the language that athletes were using to train and what was happening in physio. So basically someone would break or create a problem or a pain condition, something would happen. Someone would have some experience where they could no longer occupy their own society. And then it was like you had dropped into this correlate language of rehab had nothing to do with how we train, nothing how we do how we train in the Olympics, nothing how to, you know, and it wasn't about what I could do to manage myself. And it wasn't about what I could do to prevent this. It was about sort of a, some very passive treatments. So I went to physio school and I was like, wow, there's this huge gap between cutting edge physio and what we were learning 
about the best ways to train through Olympic lifting, gymnastics, powerlifting, running technique, all just, there's no gap. There's no conversation. So in my first year of physio school, my wife and I opened up our gym. And what I saw suddenly was, man, a lot of us did not have the requisite range of motion. We could, we could work out hard because I could stand in a little tiny range of motion. I could do bicep curls and elliptical machine, right? And I never really had to expose myself to the range of motion requirements to swim, to run effectively, to sprint, right? To be able to hinge effectively and generate positions on the bike. And suddenly we realized we had this gorgeous diagnostic tool called watching people move. And as a physio, I was helping people rehabilitate and manage positions. And I also saw the other side that we had people who didn't have pain, but who couldn't achieve a position. And what we saw was that when we restored their physiology, gave them back the mechanics, their native mechanics, they went faster. They, they set PRs, they set PBs, right? The things that matter the most to us, like more ego, more, I could go faster with less cost. And what we noticed is that there was a real, real conversation between people not moving well and their injury and or their overuse syndrome or their pain. And so one of the things that we did was instead of just getting out of the way or saying, hey, let's let this tissue desensitize, right? Let's just let it, let it kind of back off. What we realized is we improved people's mechanics. We had better output and we got them out of pain. And in the real time, we had this diagnostic tool that, hey, look, if you can't put your arms over your head, your catch is going to suck when you swim, you know, that you're not going to be able to take a breath when you're on the bike. And so what we started realizing is that we start to conjoin positional quality right along with performance quality. And that's how we got interested in mobility because frankly, stretching isn't cool and was never cool. So we tried to make, we tried to make position cool for the first time ever. And that's what we uh, have been trying to do. And I'll just add that part of this was who, whose responsibility is it? Do I, do I just work really hard until I break? You know, I mean, it seems to happen. That, yeah, that's, that was our old model. And I don't know why it happened. Maybe you were stressed. I'm like, or maybe you were moving like a jerk for many, many miles, very fast. And uh, your body said, Hey, that's, that's not going to do it. And I just want to be clear. Pain is not pain is just information like lack of range of motion, like, like loss of force production, right? Like numbness. It's just information about what's going on. So why are we not looking at lack of range of motion the same way we're treating pain? right? Because we haven't established vital signs. And if I ask who owns pain, what we've told people forever is that pain is a medical problem. And we know that that is a bunch of, you know, that's horseshit. Yeah. You know, ultimately, if I ask people if, if they have pain, the answer universally is yes. So where do we define injury? That injury line is, hey, I can't do my sport. I can't occupy my role in my society. I can't do my job in my family. Okay, now you're injured, right? You have clear mechanisms of injury pathology. The rest of this is part and parcel of the human condition. So that means we need to think differently about where we minister to it and who can see it in real time. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. And so, so when you say that in regards to pain, are you saying that then we all should, we all have an element of pain within us? Is that what you're saying? And that's how it just is? No, no, no. I'm saying that the resting state of the human being is pain-free. It is that pain-free. When we, have, when, we have pain, when we have pain, it does not mean tissue damage. Yeah, right. And that's really clear. I mean, let me just say, if I dropped you in to one of the bodies of my elite female cyclist friends, when they are given her health, when they're at their peak world championships, you, you transported into their brains, you would die of agony. You would be like, no human being suffer this. Right. And yet that pain is okay. But if your knee hurts running down a hill you think oh i've got knee cancer knee rabies and (laughs) and i've got i'm gonna have to see a doctor and i'll stop like tackle the drugs that's right so imagine that we've become so sophisticated in nutrition and training and Mm. adaptation and recovery and yet we have not empowered anyone to say hey look i have knee pain this interesting i wonder if my sleep is bad i wonder if i'm overstressed i wonder if I just have good old fashioned tissue stiffness. Well, how do I know that? Well, you, you can't do what we know every human being on the, do, on the earth should do, which means your legs should flex. And you should be able to extend your hip. And sometimes there's nothing wrong except the tissues over stiffened, right? You haven't, you haven't managed the session costs from the last thing because you're a modern human. Instead of giving people tools to desensitize it or 
get better blood flow to it or restore the mechanics. We're like, here's some drugs. Yeah. Don't use it. Yeah. Good luck. It's all in your head, right? Yeah. Not and, and none of that seems to work, unsurprisingly. Um, and so you, you mentioned stretching before. So can you uh, sort of explain the difference between mobility and, and stretching, which clearly is there's a big differential there. Well, let me ask you this. What do you mean when you say the word stretching? I have no idea what you mean when you say stretching. Well, when I, when I, I, think, know of, I, when I think of stretching, I think of, you know, sitting on the floor and doing a hamstring stretch and, you know, <laughs> well, then getting bored and stopping. Well, he, isn't that great? Because one of the things that I'm very proud of about our movement, exercise, training, competition community is that all along, we had a very simple feedback mechanism about what worked and what didn't work, yeah. right? If I didn't feel like I was safe and part of a tribe and a running group and, and training partners, I didn't compete well. If I didn't eat right, I didn't compete well. If I didn't manage my sleep, I didn't compete well. If I didn't warm up and cool, I didn't compete well, right? You have this immediate feedback, whether that your environment is supporting the output, right? And you have this immediate feedback that I did something and it made me better or it had no change. And what we saw is that we were like, you should stretch. And you're like, right, that sounds great. I'll eat this bucket full of kale. And what the reason you felt <laughs> that way is that no one made the case that was changing your position or improving your efficiency with yeah. some, some nebulous thing. Yeah, and that's right. I, I believe that people are so smart. Wait, bear with me for a second. Mm -hmm. They will do what works. And if you show them it works and you takes away their pain, improves their performance, allows them to do what they want to do. You don't have to beat them over the head to repeat the behavior. Mm. They will do it automatically. Why? Because this is why we eat. This is why we sleep. This is why we warm up. This is why we care about ounces because it's all about biomotor expression. So we have this nice little feedback mechanism. So when we said stretch, I think what we were thinking is, hey, I feel tension in the muscle. Well, have you ever run down a hill and felt tension in your quads? Is that stretching? If you pick something heavy up off the ground and go to yoga class, is that stretching? No, it's yeah, not. Yeah. And the real question is, and this is really crucial because we haven't really defined what stretching meant, right? And that's why we did not call ourselves originally stretching wad, right? Yeah. We, we specifically used the word mobility, which no one was using on purpose so that's that we not. did not conflate the two terms. And I'm not sure I want you to be stretched like the, you are a springy dynamic animal. Your Achilles tendon will restore, will store 80% of its energy and return that in running. Do I want to stretch you out? No, I don't want to stretch you. In fact, I want to make you springier and more dynamic. But what I'll say is we confused, hey, I feel tension here. I feel a stretch with stretching. We haven't established what is normal range of motion which we know, we're very clear, every physician group, every orthopedic physician group, every physical therapy group, everyone knows what full range of motion is. And yet we have these arm, arm, these, these arm wrestling contests about what's the best technique to, you know, like stretching works. And I'm like, dude, did it change your position? Yes or no? You know, because if you don't have full position, the key here is that as a human being, you will solve this problem no matter what. That's what human beings are brilliant at working around the problem. So, you know, imagine if the ankle was fragile and the foot was fragile. The second something happened, we couldn't occupy our role in society, couldn't hunt, couldn't feed ourselves, couldn't run away from danger, couldn't reproduce, right? The system is really, really robust. If spines were really fragile, there would be no humans because someone would have herniated a disc day three doing something stupid because we're human. And guess what? There's no more humans, right? <laughs> so I think what we want to appreciate here is, hey, what we can control is our quality of range of motion. And let me be honest. If you just walk around and you do some gardening, it probably doesn't really matter if your feet are that straight. You may have a bunion. You may, you know, you may have some niggles here and there. Some might be tight. But do not tell me that that technique and those positions transfer to sports that they keep you safe at speed, that they're the most effective to generate force and power, they're not. And so what we think is, you know, sure, your spine should be able to flex. Of course, it's a spine. Can you imagine saying your elbow shouldn't flex? Mm. Like, so 
But the idea that that rounded spine position is the most effective to breathe, to stabilize the create intra-abdominal pressure, to have a rock solid pelvic floor, to generate force from the hip, to generate axial load through the spine. No one swims with a flexed spine. And so what we have done is we've said, hey, look, we overly medicalize the body. I get that. But there is still technique involved in the best expression of what's possible for physiology. That's why we teach technique in tennis and golf and every sport on the planet. They don't just dump the balls out on the field. They're like, go for it, kids. There's no technique here, right? We teach and train and drill because that's what we know it to be the best expressions of the body. And so if we're about teaching people to have access, full access to the incredible machinery and incredible gift and genetics that is the human, we might as well teach them the ways in which they can use it all instead of waiting till they have a problem and then trying to change and teach the technique. So let's teach it the first time anyway. So yes, you want to squat up off the ground and collapse your arches, let your knees touch, fine. But don't tell me that that is the best expression of the foot does. And let me just say that if you say that to someone and then in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, they have a problem, you are part of that problem. And so one of the issues of human beings, and I ask a lot of physios this and a lot of coaches this, I'm like, have you ever coached someone for 10 years? Do you know what the real cost of your training is over 10 years? You might coach someone for a few months or maybe a year and then you don't see him again, right? I, I treat, taught this 18 year old superstar kid. I mean, when you're 18, you're made of rubber, you, <laughs> you self-regenerate, right? you can, you can awesome. eat little chocolate donuts and slabs of VB and you can still crush it, but you can't, that there will be a cost to that sometime. Yeah. And I think what we want to simultaneously say is, I want you to come out unharmed at one rep and then at a million reps, two million reps. And it's easy to have that many number of duty cycles in runners or in swimmers or in, in cyclists. And so, you know, I think it's difficult for us to appreciate inputs and outputs, especially since the human being time frame is so long. So what do we do? We take our cues from what's the best expression of biomotor output and then we can work backwards and then we can actually say well here's what we know about why we teach children this way and here's how that technique translates up to middle school and then translates to college so we can see a through line of skill technique we don't have like oh it doesn't matter what you do it's all movement is good right you're you're a unique snowflake slam your heel into the ground when you run it's totally okay just get a thicker shoe right mm -hmm. that's disingenuous and really passing on the problem instead of saying, hey, we can do better and we have time. We don't have to get it right the first time. So that's how I feel about all this. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you were talking about runners needing, being springy, which I, I totally agree with. And so why then is generally mobility good for runners specifically? Well, and especially say ultra the, runners who are doing the ultra distances. Yeah, well, what we're really looking at is economy of motion and efficiency, right? Mm. So. You know, one of the first things we see, for example, is that most people are running at much lower cadences than they should. You know, when Mo broke the two-hour record, he was running, what, like 94, 96, right? I mean, his cadence, his, his cycle, breathing through his nose, his, his last five steps looked like this first five steps. That's a pretty solid effort. So the real question, though, is, you know, sometimes, especially in our ultra community, the range of motion expressed is very small. Yeah. And so what you think is, well, I can do this, but if you get past that range of motion a little bit, we have very gross inefficiency. The hip is missing 50% of its range of motion. The ankle is missing much more range of motion. We don't have any hip extension. The tissues are just overly stiff and working this little tiny range. And what we see is, man, that's hard on the joints. That is not as effective and efficient as we, as we need to be. And if you suddenly have to be in a dynamic position, God forbid you have to get up off the ground or run up a hill or step down off a big log or you're starting to do some obstacle course racing and you have to duck under something, you know? So if you're telling me, and, and what, what's really interesting about this is, you know, I don't really care if my, my runners can Olympic lift ass to grass. Like that's not important to me, right? What's important to me is, is this. And I think this is where we've lost our minds a little bit. When we look at sport, if I'm in the middle of a sport season, my strength and conditioning and movement practice has one goal, 
to improve my sport. That's the only lens we run through. And what we've always said around strength training is that somehow strength was like some magical panacea. If I just got stronger, everything would get better, right? Well, what a bunch of horse crap that is too. That's just box, right? That's just, that doesn't work. You know, the coordination, the efficiency, the mechanics, the restoration of position, right? If you only do one thing and run, and by the way, some of our runners I know are phenomenal athletes. Dean Carnassus can squat and pull up and run. Like these guys and gals can do really at the top ends are really amazing athletes. Yet you don't have to be very athletic to run very slowly for 20, 30 hours. It's extraordinary. I ran one ultra marathon once and I'm That was good. enough. <laughs> that was enough. A little mountain 50K and I was like, mm, I'm good. I, you know, eight and a half <laughs> hours later and I was like, this is not for me. So, you know, what we appreciate then is that the strength and conditioning is just about as much about restoring position mechanics so that we begin to limit compensation. Because if I don't have a very fluent movement practice, right? then my body's going to start to say, well, we're not in that range of motion, let it go. We're not in that range of motion, let it go. And what we startly see then is we have tissues that are over tension, very, very stiff. And that's fine for a while, but all of a sudden you'll fall behind or some sort of sensitization model or below a threshold where boom, that over tension did cause that knee pain or your kneecap finally got soft and you started grinding your kneecap into your femur and I don't know how that happened. It's so weird. I've only been running 100-mile weeks with quads that were super stiff and no hip extension, right? And the other thing is that sometimes we're not really good at identifying our compensation. Is that foot spinning out? Are you overstriding? Are, you know, um, is that, what's going on with the foot? You know, are you running around your shoulders because you don't have any shoulder extension? And appreciating that you know, it doesn't take much keep an eye on the global system. So again, if I'm in the middle of my season, I don't really care how strong you need to be to run. Well, I, I have you know a lot of children who are, you know, kindergartners and less who run just fine. So apparently you don't need to be that strong. You need to be strong enough to maintain your position throughout the length of the race, which does take some training, right? It does take some efficiency. And if you want to run faster, you got to get stronger. We know that to be true. But that strength can be expressed as efficiency and coordination. You don't have to get bigger muscles even necessarily, you know, um, and what we can begin to say then, okay, well then I'm out of my season. So now I drop into a sports preparation style training, which is about re reclaiming capacities, about developing, you know, more hip extension and more movement options and more robust tissues and making sure that I'm challenging these end range capacities or more end range and trying to normalize my range of motion back to what normal, baseline not super i don't care if you're a gymnast but like what do you mean if you and i this is such a classic example if you and i were having coffee and all of a sudden i can't get my hand to my face right i can't get my biscuit to my mouth and my elbow is stuck at 90 degrees you would ask you'd be like dude what's wrong with your elbow and i'm like nothing i'm an ultra runner yeah. right yeah. and if i laid you down and flexed your leg and it's stuck at 90 degrees you'd be like there's no problem i was faster than you and yet I'm like, your leg only is, st is stuck at 90 degrees. Mm. And what I guarantee you is that if I lay 100 ultra marathoners and runners down and bring their heel towards their butt, it stops at 90 degrees, mm. which is only like missing, I don't know, 50% of your range of motion. And, and leading to the, to the shuffle run too, I'm guessing. Yeah, so the key is that it's just not efficient. We don't have many movement choices. And we confuse the fact that you can still run with the fact that you're running at your best. And really, that's what we said early on, is that when we made the case for mobility, we made the case for appreciating that it may not just be muscle. Muscles are part of it, but also maybe fascia, connective tissue. How well do your tissues slide? How intramuscularly stiff are you? Is this a joint capsule problem? Well, stretching doesn't change the joint capsule mm -hmm. at all. It's a complete mm -hmm. part of it. Well, then we also need to talk about your movement efficiency. So all the best runners I know work with a technique coach and drill technique endlessly. They never arrive. They're always working and developing and feeling and, and planning and re-strategizing, rebuilding. So technique matters. Movement efficiency, economy matters. And then so does your environment. And so, you know, how stressed are you? What's going on in your life? 
You know, what's your previous injury history? What are your genetic predispositions for making collagen in your Achilles? All of these things implicate the global system. So if we're going to talk about mobility, ultimately we're appreciating that environment matters, movement matters. But then we also have to say, do you have the raw tissue extensibility to be able to achieve these positions? So I don't care how much you can squat, but if you can't even do an air squat to 90 degrees, like this is a red flag. I mean, God forbid you fall and have to absorb force somehow, because if you don't have access to those positions, you're going to turn your feet out. You're going to slam your knees in and round your back. And that's maybe a recipe for, for trauma, but it's just a recipe for not being very efficient. So what we want to do then is say, hey, look, we've become a little bit more sophisticated in defining how we restore positions and maintain positions in our daily practice. But that means also I don't have to see a therapist six times a week or, or I have to spend another hour doing mobility. You know, are you warm enough effectively? Are you touching these end range positions? Do you have a movement practice? After your run, you have this great diagnostic. Well, it felt tight. You know, let me go after my posterior tib. What's going on with my adductors? Like, oh, I felt a little stiff in my glutes as I was running the hill. Go work on that. And so what we're doing is we're actually beginning to conjoin tissue quality, movement quality appreciation, range of motion appreciation in the context of the thing we do. And 10 or 15 minutes of just simple self-maintenance means that, man, over the course of the week, I get many, many, many minutes of just simple work in there. And, and look, we're modern humans. Sometimes we're going to need to get up out of the chair, blast a run at lunch, come back, right? Because that's, that's all I got. I got to go pick up my kids and do this thing. But that is not how we were designed to work as humans. We're not designed to be sedentary, redlined and then sedentary. I mean, if you do that with a horse, the horse gets pneumonia and dies, right? I mean, like we've actually run this experiment before, right? You have to warm up the horse, you have to cool down the horse. You know, there's a warm, if you go to the Olympics, man, there's a warm up track that's next to the track. And no one just gets out of the car and sprints a 10K and sits back in the car. Man, there's a lot of warm up and cooling down in between. How do I know that? Well, I work in Olympic track and fields. Uh, you know, that's not, that's not a mystery to us. We work along some of the best endurance athletes on the planet. So we know what their practices are. And yet somehow we, because we think we're special, that the laws of training don't apply to us. And simultaneously, we're seeing that people are spending more time in front of the computer. Yeah. People are training at volumes and intensities that 10 years ago were unheard of. Some of the elites were. And certainly 20 years ago, you know, very, very different. There was a few outliers, but now the average person is really working hard. You know, high intensity exercise is here to stay. People are faster and more of us are doing it. And we just need to make sure that people have a plan that integrates into their life and taking care of your tissues and keeping an eye on your range of motion. Why is that different than your nutrition? Why is that different than, you know, any of these other aspects? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very neglected part of, of most runners that I know of. I mean, yeah, and they focus on nutrition and, and all that sort of stuff, but mobility, not so much. So, <laughs> well, it's not their fault. No. So let me say this. Everyone comes out of a system, right? Mm. So who taught you? Because if you came from a coach or had a family that said, no, 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 we're not going to go blast. We're going to go walk 800 meters very fast first. And then mm. we're going to do some skipping drills. And then we're going to get our hips open. Right, like your cross country team in high school. I ran cross country, right? I don't look like it because I weigh 100, you know, 106 kilos now. But I was the slowest cross country runner on the team. <laughs> right, you're we, we, we were. I was last place, but I was on the team. And um, you know, I think the key here is that we appreciate that um, it's easy to make some of these sort of procedural errors as a function of who we are and how we came out of what's tradition. And so now. Let's use pain as this really interesting conversation starter. Oh, that's really interesting. Oh, my feet are really sore the next day. I wonder why that is. Mm -hmm. Then we can appreciate one, de-escalate here. You're not broken. Nothing's damaged here. Run again. Don't panic. Comma. Now let's do something about it instead of ignoring it or running through the pain. You know, you should not be running through pain. What are we doing? That's madness. You're, you're an addict. Quit it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's something many, many runners do. So, so what sort of, you, you talked a little bit about warm-ups, you know, skipping drills and that sort of thing. What should a runner do on like a day-to-day -day basis before their run to, to properly warm up? Well, you know, if you go to our blog, the Ready State blog, yeah. 
um, we have a, a article there I wrote called My Morning Routine. And in there is a really simple, quick hip opener drill where we just spend some time sitting on the ground, moving to end range. It looks like a really modern yoga practice, really simple without any of the trappings of yoga. Just dynamic, you call it dynamic range of motion, dynamic movement practice. And I have a little breathing practice in there. Okay. So what I propose is that I want to get us as ready as possible so that when it's time to run, I don't have to deal with some stiff quad or like I can actually just warm up. I can work on my technique, yeah. start to shift the blood from my stomach, start to get prepped, right? Get into my run as quickly as I can, which means that the, the rest of the day, we have this incredible opportunity to sort of organize our behaviors when we can. First thing in the morning, maybe I go for a walk or I sit on the ground and answer some emails a little bit. I did the hip spin up. I already touched my hips and tissues once. Um, I go for my run, and in the evening, before I go to bed, I can do a little soft tissue work. And that can be whatever. Work on your calves. It can be very simple. Roll your quads out. Roll your adducts. It can be more sophisticated than that if you want. But suddenly you see that we have a complete movement practice, and the actual running is just a part of that movement practice. And so, you know, what we're trying to do is say, hey, look, I really want to respect and honor your time, which means, man, it's pretty easy to get my hips open very quickly and some dynamic drills and things that look like karaoke and skipping and maybe a little jump roping, right? It's so easy to be primed, you know, do any of the Romanoff pose drills, you know, the pulls or the quick tempo or, and then you're going to have a great running session. And that's the only goal. Why did I do this? Cause I ran better and session cost was limited. So the session cost is, how expensive was that training system on my physiology? How do I know? Well, I couldn't handle the same volume as equal volume later on in the week. So I'm always trying to minimize session costs because what we know is whoever does the most work and remains the freshest tends to win. They, those are our people. And sometimes it's genetics and sometimes it's, they've been training like this for 20 years and all of these and they're mutants because there are mutants among us. I'm, 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 I'm always around mutants. But let's appreciate that if you've done these things, you're eating food, you're getting warm up, you've done some breathing and prep, then when it's time to go, you're going to have a great running session. Then, you know, you didn't just sit on the couch, you throw on some compression socks, you were at a standing leaning station for the rest of the day, you kind of kept moving to decongest, to keep the blood moving. Lo and behold, in the evening, you do 10 minutes of 10 or 15 minutes of soft tissue work before you go to bed, you sleep better, you actually got eight hours of sleep. If you are a runner and you don't get eight hours of sleep, that's not eight hours in bed. That's eight hours of yeah. sleep. You are not even adapting to what we did. So what we see is I've created a, an environment where I really get the most out of my run, right? It's not like, you know, I, I'm running and then I can't run for you days. I'm super stiff. and My quality sucks. Everything is around getting my body prepped for that session. And more importantly, I get to get my life back. I don't have to spend. And then when I am running, I'm doing what I need to do. And lo and behold, rinse, wash, repeat for a few weeks of that. And you're going to be hooked because it's a better way of living. Yes. I was going to ask that how long would it take before it sort of, uh, you really start to see oh, the benefits. So a couple of weeks. You'll, you should, but you should see the benefit first day. But yeah, you know okay. what we talk about in this environment. So now, for example, if someone it comes in with some kind of nagging injury or some overuse yeah. thing, I'm like, tell me about your sleep. Yeah. And they're like, uh, I sleep great. I'm like, great. You just need to show me that you sleep great. So there are all these wonderful sleep trackers and I'm just going to need to see them. I'm just going to need to see your sleep track. So what I'm going to see is, as my wife points out, who's a multiple world champion, whitewater athlete herself, she's like, hey, if I'm going to get eight hours of sleep, sometimes I need to be in bed for nine hours because there's a lot of displaced time and wake up and loss. But if I'm going to get eight hours of actual sleep, I have to be in bed longer. So it's really difficult for me to say, hey, I, I'm not sure why your knee hurts. I can tell that you, we can build a problem list. Oh, I see that you went drinking and a bunch of pizza and drank beer. That's not great. I wonder if that's something. You're super stressed in your family. You don't have even your range of motion. You're eating like a spoiled teenager and you're not sleeping and your running technique is just less than what we would want. So which one of those do you want to tackle today first, right? And, and for me, they're all important. And yeah. so some of those, you know, if I deal with your quad stiffness, boom, you may be 
you know, on the road. And let me give you an example. We had a pro cyclist come in who hadn't been able to ride for like nine months. Devastated, devastating his family. He doesn't know what to do. He's depressed. Obviously, like we exercise and self-medicate. That's my wife and I. Right? This is why we're not alcoholic mad people who killed our children because we exercise. And he had seen every doctor. He had seen, been to Stanford, all the MRIs, all the bike fitters. And when I laid him down and flexed his knee to his heel to his butt, it got stiff before 90 degrees. Mm. I was like, oh, there's a problem. So he was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, lay on your back. So I just walked on his leg, got my crutches out, walked on his leg, I dealt with this tissue stiffness, showed him how to do that, put him in some end range isometrics, just building tolerance, telling his brain, you got to be in this position. That's why we do things like the couch stretch every day, right? We're just touching these positions. And I was like, he's like, how will I know? I'm like, why don't you go home and ride tonight and let me know. He's like, no, it'll hurt at 12 minutes. I'm like, well, at 13 minutes, call me. So he rode for two hours that night. Oh, wow. He rode four hours the next day. Excellent. Oh, I seem to have lost you. I've just lost you for a minute. I don't know if you can hear me. Um. Yep, yeah, you're just back. So sorry, you were just saying you ran rode for two hours and then four hours. Yeah, and so the issue is that we took a big swing at, um, you know, what I thought was the biggest boulder in his capacity. And this one was his range of motion, his yeah. mobility, because I knew he was eating well. I knew he wasn't very stressed. I know, you know what I mean? So some of those things- ticking all the other boxes. To, that's right. We just, we, I think that they, it's disingenuous to say, oh, it's a strength problem. You know, like, is yeah. it really? Is that right? He's, he's a grown ass man. Like pro cycle, yeah. his quads are weak. I'm not going with yeah. that. I don't, yeah. I don't see many weakness problems, you know? So, yeah. you know, I think, I think what really is amazing is that we should be able to run until we're a hundred years old. Um, that's, that's, a, yeah, that's good news. There's a great physician named Peter Atia who has this thing called the centenarian games. And he's like, what, what would the Olympic games for me look like when I was a hundred years old? which I really like the idea. The problem with his games is they suck. They're all like goblet squat, one, you know, 50 pounds, five reps, I'm like, who cares? Like, we need to have context, be able to go on a, a run with my mates, right? Yeah. That's like, I, that's the thing, I be able to paddle the rivers, be able to put on a big heavy backpack, and, yeah. you know, sleep on the ground, but those are the, you know, give it context. So if we get the message or sending the message to people that they have to stop running in their 30s or 40s or 50s, man, we're really doing something wrong because this is why you have an Achilles. This is why your foot is shaped the way it is. And I think when we make subtle changes to this conversation that running is the one movement that human beings is, is universal human beings. We're designed to run. We're designed to walk. We're designed to carry things on our backs and designed yeah. to throw and to sit on the ground. You know, here's a simple test for your runners. I got two tests for you. If you want to see if you can become a better runner, follow these two tests. One, put your feet together and be balanced between the balls of your feet and your heels. So find that balance so you're even from front to back, right? Yeah. And then I want you to lower yourself to the ground all the way. You can let your knees come apart and you're just not allowed to even let your heels. If you lose that pressure, that balance, you failed the test. Oh, I think I failed. Well, guess what? That's just normal. What do you mean you can't squat all the way to the ground? Like, that's crazy. Like, what are you talking about? That's, I have ankle function. I have hip function. And what you see there is that, wow, no one has ever said that this is important. I need to keep an eye on this range of motion skill and goal, right? So, you know, the, the idea here is, man, there's a lot we can do to improve your efficiency. Now, here's the second test. Sit on the ground, cross leg. Mm. So you can start on the ground. And I just need you to get up off the ground without using your hands or putting a knee down. Yeah, so you're saying that's a tough one. Yeah. Is, it, is it really tough? I don't think so. <laughs> I am 47 years old. I weigh 106 kilos. I just spent seven hours on my bike. I deadlifted 600 pounds this last year, right? Mm. I don't think, I'm just calling, nah, I don't think so. But the problem is, until we say it's important to maintain the health of a range of motion, we won't value it, right? And until we value it, until people see that it makes them more durable runners and it makes us more efficient, 
that's, you know, then it's on us. We just haven't told people why it's important. So it's not anyone's fault. But if you come to the awareness, oh my gosh, I'm sort of a demi-human. I can't even poop in the woods or sit on the ground. Like we have a picnic on the ground and you're suffering to be on the ground. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, it's not gonna be very fun to picnic with you. No, <laughs> no not really. Well, and also you talk a lot about, you know, zero drop shoes and walking barefoot. What do you see as the benefits of that for, for runners? Well, one of the things that we, we want to appreciate is the foot. The Russians have a great saying, you're as old as your feet. I love this. Oh, I haven't heard that one. I like that. And let's appreciate that the foot um, is an erogenous zone. Just like your hands, just like your nipples, just like your genitalia. Tons and tons. Derived from this Wolfian ridge. Um, so much sensory motor input about where I'm in space, ground force reaction, that if I always put myself in a comfy glove, big thick glove, and try to work through the world, I'm not going to have very good information about what's going on, how hard I'm squeezing, what I'm grabbing, how functional yeah. I am. And what we'll see is early on, um, you know, it's not an accident that people run the fastest marathons in very thin shoes. I mean, you know, the Nike vapor side, right? That, that the foot Zola Bud is a great example yeah. of the fact that in two and a half million years of evolution, that foot is pretty dynamic. I will say that most of us don't have very dynamic feet. So one of the ways, and, and, and don't get me wrong, um, Chris McDougall is one of my good friends. I love Born to Run. Yeah. When the when the, the, the Temerara engines got running shoes, they ran faster. So we yeah. look at running shoes as a tool, right? Yes. Like it's and it's like I'm I'm gonna put on biking gloves for this reason, or I'm putting on biking shoes for this reason. So running shoes allow us to run faster, to do to be able to handle bony bruises. To, so I need enough padding. Yeah. And but when I'm not running, why am I wearing running shoes? right? Because they look good with jeans because they're cute, right? Because I've been <laughs> conditioned. Because those are not what your feet should be doing. So if you were spending an hour in your running shoes, the rest of the time I want you flat, living flat, having your feet sense, work on different surfaces, be strong, input, decongest. And what I think is that we have feet that are very shut down. They're actually dynamic, very weak. One of my favorite things these days is something called the slack block. It's made by a company called Slack Bow, and it's a really clever, miniaturized, um, like balance beam, dynamic, like a slack line, but in your kitchen. So it's a piece of wood on top of a, a beautiful piece of foam. And what you'll see is if I take my average runner and have them balance on there, they're all over the place. They're a sloppy mess, they're, they can't balance, they fall over. I'm like, huh. It's almost like you use your feet for your sport and you don't really care that your feet suck and are giving you <laughs> slow information about how springy yeah. you can be, how fast you can be. So again, you know, muscles and tissues are like obedient dogs and our brain is the most sophisticated structure in the universe. So everything is trainable. Mm. And what I think is we should live flat as we can. That means wear flat shoes whenever you can, be barefoot as much as you can, obsessed about being barefoot. Yeah. It'll change your stride, change the information. Your feet will become more dynamic. Then go run in a shoe that has the appropriate amount of drop for you. So if you're coming out of a centimeter and a half or over a centimeter of differential, don't worry about it. We'll work our way down over a year yeah. to be in zero. And I'm not saying you don't need to have any padding. I think we lost our minds. And when we ran this experiment, we had people who are, have big engines running in old shoes, like high heel monsters put on the Vibram fingers and we saw injuries go through the roof. Why? Scientific. They, yeah. they couldn't squat down with their ankles together. Yeah. They couldn't get up and down off the ground. They had weak, weak feet. And all of a sudden we're like, oh yeah, you're gonna need an extra two centimeters of range of motion in your ankles yeah. today going fast. And they didn't have it. Yeah. So we just wanna appreciate that that tool can come at a cost. But do I really think that running in a differential of three to five millimeters is the limiting factor to you being a successful runner? No especially if you're living flat the rest of the time, you know, the indoor soccer players, you ever, you ever played indoor soccer? No. They have a shoe that like the shoe was the Adidas Samba. Remember that shoe? I've <laughs> never shoe. even heard of it. It's a flat indoor soccer shoe. It is like the oldest indoor soccer trainer came out in like probably the fifties or sixties yeah. and it hasn't changed at all. 
why did the soccer players who are doing so much indoor cutting, stopping, stopping, side to side kick, why did they choose a shoe that was flat and very stable? Hmm. It's almost mm. like they figured out that they could have better function out of the ankle in that direction. Mm. And so we, again, lost our minds, but we're catching up because again, I'm not saying you don't need padding, especially if you're going to be on your feet for six hours, 10 hours, eight hours. But let's appreciate that if you take your shoes off and your gait changes, that should be a red flag. You should be able to run the same cadence, the same style, mm, whether you're okay. barefoot, whether you have hikers on, whether you're running in dress shoes. Why would your technique change based on what's on your footwear? That's kind of crazy, right? No, no, yeah. when I wear these pants, I walk differently. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> you wouldn't do that. So, you know, I think, you know, how stable is the technique? And I think this is really where we get into the woods a little bit where people say, you know, my technique is the best. I'm like, great, take off your shoes. You know, well, I can't run without shoes. I'm, like, yeah. I'm not sure your technique is very good, right? Yeah. You know, I have to have these inserts. I'm like, so you're going to wear inserts on the beach? Like you're afraid to run barefoot on the beach? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and again, we came out of the really heavy consumer, right? Non-technical, just do it model. Like this is free and you should be able to strap your shoes on. Well, we agree with that. Again, running is core value uh, and core expression of being human. If you can't run and you're a lifter, I have problems with you. If you can't run and you're a rower, I'm like, ooh, red flag. The same way that I'm saying, hey, I think you should be able to squat down, right? Or get off the ground without your hands with a cross legged position. If you can't run 1K, 5K, I'm like, ooh, we've got, you know, we, we've got work to do. So it's okay to put skill and preparation back into our tissues. But, you know, I, I think, and we have a lot of really fast marathoners at our gym who are really strong, can power clean and snatch and run technique and they're black and, and doesn't matter what shoes they wear. They shoot, we use the shoe that allows them to go the fastest, right? Because it doesn't matter what's on their feet. And the feet is that the shoe is not why you're having pain when you run. That's crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's not going to be fixed by getting a new pair of shoes or shoes with higher drop or something like that. Yeah. Hey, this ibuprofen isn't working. Let's try Tylenol. Yeah. Let's try Vicodin. Like, you know, let's try a Let's have them all. You know, like, well, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, I think, I think, you know, instead of uh, coming back and saying, well, there's so much more on that I can do, it must be the shoe. And, yeah. and you know, one of the drills that we've done, I go work with a high, local high school and they use our book and our technique with all their sophomores yeah. and freshmen. And I've had 150 kids in a room and they've done a section on running. And I have them take their shoes off and have them feel the floor and we do some drills and have them be aware and we do some squat prep and they do a little bounding and they move around. And then I'm like, okay, kids, put your shoes back on. I'm like, how do your feet feel? Feel the same ground. And the kids are like, I can't feel the ground. Look where my arches are. Ah, I'm pushed on the outside. This shoe is terrible. And I'm like, okay, you know, take your shoes off, run around. We do some short runs barefoot. Everyone's got a high cadence. No one is slamming their heel into the ground. Everyone runs like Usain Bolt. Then I'm like, put your shoes back on. Everyone's like, no, I can't walk, you know? And <laughs> as soon as you start to realize that when you put a shoe on, it shouldn't change your perception of the ground, your organization, your perception of balance. And so that actually is the best way not to go run the back and forth in the thing and have someone look at your foot, right? That's a ridiculous way to choose yes. a shoe. Yeah. And, and no one does that anymore. But now what I'm saying is put a shoe on, do some squats, see how the shoe changes the function of your foot. That should yeah. be good. Well, that's, yeah, that's really good. And, and I, I like that. And then of course, yeah, you can't just solve all your problems by buying a new pair of shoes, but maybe putting some time into your mobility might, might help a bit more. Uh, look, it, you've got, a, this is a long game. Yeah. There's so many ways in, Stop, push anywhere to begin. And let's remember that we are designed to run forever. I've got like two, one more minute. I've got to jump off. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's fine. Same. Yeah, no, and 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 I, I'd like to wrap it up on that note. That yes, we are designed to run, and and it shouldn't be full of pain unless you're pushing hard and wanting to feel the pain of pushing hard. It shouldn't be a painful experience, is what you're getting at. No, and I last thing I'll say about that is, if running isn't enjoyable, you're running yeah. wrong, right? Yeah. It should feel good to run. And don't get me wrong, it it's hard. Running is hard. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it being hard. Yeah. yeah, but that's but that's so it's deadlifting or biking. It's all it's all a difficult effort. Yes. But it, a lot of people, I think, say, "Oh, I don't like running." And what they're really saying is, "I don't know how to run. It doesn't feel yeah. good in my body." And I I believe them. That is actually 
the truth. But running is really enjoyable and effortless. And we know that you know, biomotor mechanically cost running eight minute mile or 10 minute miles the same. So, you know, if you can't run, go low for 10 minute mile, it should just be like, I don't care if it's your thing, but it shouldn't suck to do it. You know, and I, I think, you know, what we, what we have the great opportunity is to indoctrinate people that it can feel good and be part of a normal fitness program. And if, again, if you look at your fitness program and you're not running, you have a hole in your life. Yeah, well, I certainly agree with that. Um, all right, well, look, um, I'll put a link to your book, Ready to Run, in the show notes. And can you just say, I'll put a link to your website, but do you want to just tell the listeners again what that was? Yes, we are The Ready State, The Ready State, R-E-A-D-Y, readystate.com. And one of the things that we tried to do is we actually have a two-week free on-ramp program where you have an opportunity to learn how to mobilize and to take care of yourself. And then cancel after two weeks if you want. If you know it all, but we've got programs in there to help you manage pain, programs in there to restore your positions, programs in there to help you, uh, you know, adapt and regenerate and recover. And what you'll see is, man, there's a whole lot of information. I would also recommend that you go to follow us on the socials, either on YouTube yeah. or on Instagram at, at the ready state. And you can see how we integrate the thinking into movement practice and training. So it's sort of our social media is a companion piece to the website. Excellent. All right. Well, I'll put all the links to that in the show notes anyway. But um, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Such a pleasure. We'll see you soon. See you later. I think Kelly has really shown how important it is to work on mobility and range of motion. I also find it interesting how important he finds hydration and sleep, all things I know myself and many other runners can improve on. These are all things that we think we can get away with not worrying about, but they all catch up with us eventually. I do know that when I don't sleep or hydrate properly, I feel it when I'm running the next day. I also think the longer I've been running, the more that mobility work is vitally important, especially if I want to keep running for years to come. I'm sure it's the same for many people. So just as a bonus, listeners can access a free 14-day trial to Kelly's flagship program called Virtual Mobility Coach, which is like having a virtual Kelly Storette in your pocket. The TRS Virtual Mobility Coach provides users guided mobilisation videos customised for your body and lifestyle, including a personal pain prescription to fix your aches and stiffness, guided pre and post exercise mobilisations tailored for your training and sports schedule, and mobilisations for your off days to maintain your range of motion and reduce your risk of injury. Go to thereadystate.com backslash peak endurance. Thank you to those people who have taken the time and effort to subscribe, rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on whatever your favourite podcast player platform is. I really do appreciate your support. I don't know about you, but I am already planning the races I want to do in the quickly approaching next few months and there's going to be a lot of races. If you are looking forward to this time too, email me, Isabel, at peakendurancecoaching.com.au to organise an individualised training plan. Have a great week of training and spending time with friends and family.